Well, today, if you've got a bulletin, you can flip over on the back and follow along. Um, we're starting a new series called All I Want for Christmas. I don't know what you want for Christmas. I struggle to come up with a Christmas list every year. It usually has maybe one item on it. Um, but really, when I think about it, the things I want for Christmas aren't physical, aren't tangible. You can't get them at Amazon.com or, or Kohl's or Walmart. They are, they are things like uh, peace and love and joy, because those are the things that are priceless. This week's been a pretty emotional week for our family. Um, as you know, President um, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush passed away, and his service was this week, and it was just a very moving time watching just the ceremony and the dignity and respect given to that man who not only served our country in the military, but served as a a dignified president of the United States. And it's in those occasions when people kind of lay down their divisive political agendas and say, it doesn't matter what party we're from, right now we're, we're Americans, and we are together paying our respects. And there were some just precious moments. I mean, watching Bob Dole rise out of his wheelchair to salute the commander-in-chief one more time was just very, very moving. You know, and those of you in the military know how powerful those, those moments of respect are when they're shared with one another. And then I was very moved by his son's eulogy. When George W. Bush spoke of his dad, he spoke with humor, spoke lovingly, candidly about his father. Um, it was very moving um, hearing him talk about his dad and then get all, get all emotional at the very end of it People said of George Herbert Walker Bush that even though he doesn't go down history probably as the the most notable president, as far as integrity goes, as far as um, an example of a great human being, you know, he was was superb in it. And people define him as just a gentle soul. And I love that phrase because that's the same phrase that has been used to characterize my mother who passed away this week as well. On Monday morning, my mom's 92 years old. And last week I shared with you that the life expectancy for women is 81 years, for men it's 76. And when I wrote that down in my sermon notes, I began to reflect on, my my goodness, I have 18 years before I reach my expected death date. My mom surpassed it by 11 years. She's got 11 bonus years, which means any day now that's going to expire. I had no clue it would happen Monday. We received a phone call from my brother Monday morning, late Monday morning, saying mom had to be taken to the hospital by ambulance. She wasn't um, doing well this morning. And by the way, my mother's been driving to church. She's been serving, uh, counting the offering, folding bulletins, singing in the seniors choir uh, until last week. So she's been very active. All of a sudden, um, this is not, this is not um, good news. Mom's in the hospital. My brother thought she had pneumonia. So that's not good for an older person. A couple hours later, he calls back and says, um, her kidneys are starting to fail, and um, they think she has congestive heart failure. And a couple hours later, he said, we will have to make a decision whether we put mom on a feeding tube or in hospice. And I said, Jerry, are you telling me this is like the last days? Mom's not coming home? And he said, yeah. A couple hours later, he said, the doctor um, doesn't think she's going to make it through the night. And then one hour later, he said, Mom passed away. It was just so fast, so fast. I was in the midst of work on Monday trying to work out a flight for Tuesday to go home to see her in the hospital. And, and before I could even arrange things, it was like snatched away. It was gone. And fortunately, Julie and I had asked my brother to put the phone by her ear. She couldn't talk, but said, can we talk to her? And told her, you know, real loud, Mom, we love you. We love you. We'll always love you. 
Um, I know she knew we loved her, and she loved us. And my sister from Canada did the same thing. And five minutes after my sister did it, the youngest sister, mom passed away. And so I think she felt like, you know, my race is over. I'm, I'm ready to go. And so there's a, a mix of, of sadness in all of that. But at the same time, contentment, knowing 92 years, what a full life. You know what it's like? I liken it to when you've read a, a novel or some book that's really thick, like it's a really thick book. It's like 300, 400, or Harry Potter, 700 pages. You read it, and you get to the end, you go, man, I just didn't want this to end. Or, or a movie trilogy. And everyone is good, and it gets to the end of the story, and you go, oh, I wish there was one more. And that's the way it felt, like, God, this, was a, this has been really good. And I just wish it could have gone on for, you know, a little bit longer. But the book closed on Monday. But the story hasn't ended. The story's not over, but that book is closed. I always wonder what it would be like when that book closed. I envision I'd be a basket case. I mean, those of you who've lost a parent know you've lived your whole life with your parent there. Your whole life. Mom's been around 58 years. So for me, this is a new experience. Um, But, you know, God has been so gracious and filled me with good memories and gratitude that I had such a good mother. And maybe for you as a a good father, or both, or some of you didn't have either, and it's it's a difficult, difficult moment. And so I want to talk to you about something that was very um, appropriate for my mother because she spent the last um, six decades of her life in the, in the same church, Little Methodist Church in my hometown. And every Christmas, they pull out the Advent wreath. And some of you were part of a tradition that did this. On the Advent wreath are four candles. And the four Sundays before Christmas, you light a candle every week. And the very first candle that is lit represents hope. Hope. These are all great words that deal with Advent. Advent, by the way, means the coming, the coming of Christ. These are things that Jesus brought with them. And one of those was hope. And hope is so vital. I mean, it's, it's a great word. My wife loves that word, hope. It's her favorite word in the whole Bible. We have hope all over our house. It's on pillows. It's on dishes. It's on towels. It's on plaques. It's on uh, coasters. It's on everything. Everywhere we turn, there's hope everywhere, which is okay. I want hope to be everywhere. It's one of those great Bible words, right, right in the middle of faith and love. Paul says there's three great things, faith hope, and love. What is, what is hope? It is the security in the present of a reality in the future. It is a confidence that you have right now of something good that's to come. It's very present-oriented because I'm right here now. I need hope because I, I don't have what's coming in the future, but it will be good when it comes. And Christmas is such a time of hope. Just I think about as kids, when you anticipate Christmas, you know, all year long, you can't wait till Christmas, and there's this hope and anticipation of that day and what that day will bring. And I know sometimes we can go overboard and things like that, but I love the fact that our kids get hopeful at Christmas, because hope is a very good thing and something some of you need today. You might need hope just because you've lost somebody, and you're living in, in kind of confusion and chaos. Maybe hope because your marriage isn't going very well. Our relationship with somebody is just floundering. You feel like, I don't think it's going to get any better. Or your health situation. It just feels like you're stuck there and actually it's going to go, go downhill rather than uphill. And maybe financially you just, you're, you're just so in debt or 
so distraught over the bills that you feel like, I don't think we could ever get out of this mountain of debt. So uh, hope is something that's so vital for us. In fact, what happens when you lose hope, you lose the will to fight, and eventually you can lose the will to even live. So hope is essential for our lives. So I want to answer some questions looking at Scripture today about hope. First of all, what is hope like? What is hope like? Um, there are many pictures for hope. Um, one of the words the Bible uses for a picture of hope is it's an anchor for the soul. Now think about that, an anchor. Where, where does an anchor sit? It's underneath, it's hidden, it, it grabs a hold of the rocks, and it keeps us stable when the winds come to blow us. Uh, it, it keeps us from getting pushed aside by the, the waves, and then we crash against the rocks. And other people may not see your anchor, but sometimes you may wonder, how did they get through that? And you'll find that person had an anchor underneath. That anchor was their faith. So anchor is just a great picture. But I like this picture. The, probably the most predominant picture in the Bible is the light. It's light. Um, the, the Bible tells us that hope is like light breaking into the darkness. It's like that hope, hope is the light at the end of the tunnel. And we use that phrase a lot. Like I see a light at the end of the tunnel, meaning I'm in this chaos, I'm in this difficult place, it's dark, it's difficult. But you know what? There's something down there that's really good. Better times are ahead. Or, or you say that when you're going through a season of life and you go, I see the, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, we're, we're getting to the end of it. We're, we're coming out of it. There's hope down the road. And so this picture of light breaking into the darkness is a beautiful one to picture hope. Desmond Tutu, the Anglican priest who fought apartheid in South Africa, said hope is being able to see that there is light despite the darkness. The Bible uh, refers to it as, as a light or the dawn of the new day. When John the Baptist was born, his dad, Zechariah, prophesied. And in his statement of, of who Jesus was to come, Zechariah said this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace to give light to those who sit in darkness. See, the Jews for a long time have felt like they were in the dark. God had abandoned us. For 400 years, the prophets stopped speaking. Where are you, God? We haven't heard from you. What's happening? All your promises. What's going on here? And Zechariah said, the dawn is coming. It's morning. It's very near. The light will break into the darkness. And so when, <clears throat> when Jesus began his ministry... He goes into Galilee and he, ta he takes the scriptures and quotes an Old Testament passage that says this about himself. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those, <clears throat> excuse me, and for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death to, or on them, a light has dawned. This is a light that not only is going to light the world for the Jewish people, but it's even bigger than that. It's for the Gentiles who are in deeper darkness I mean, they never really knew God. They didn't know that God loved them. And all of a sudden, this light's coming, and he says, it's for you too. It's for you. This light is for you as well. The light is a welcoming. It's a, it's a loving light. One of the phrases that um, former President Bush was famous for, he wasn't famous for his speeches. In fact, I don't think people remember any particular speech, but they do remember a phrase that he coined called the thousand points of light. And he said that when we serve other people, whether it's individuals or communities, when we, we serve other people, we're like a point of light in the darkness. 
And each one of us can be one of those points to bring light into this dark world. Well, the brightest light of all is Jesus. And we as believers are also lights. Lights dispel darkness. You ever notice that if you put um, dark and light in a room, who always wins? All the, every single time. It's not even a competition. Light always wins. Darkness has to flee. And spiritually, that's true too. When the light enters, the darkness has to flee. And it's amazing sometimes how a little light can have so much power to dispel the darkness. There have been times where we've had a little light, say, the numbers on the, on the DVD player, just the time, becomes annoying at night because it lights up the bedroom. So we've actually put tape over, over the clock because it's too much. Sometimes there's been a little, a little light on a device, and that little light lights up the room. And so we have to cover it because that's the power of light. It dispels the darkness and drives it away. That's what light does. Light is the greater power. That's why at Christmas, I think uh, of all the traditions, my, my favorite has to do with lights, whether it be the candles that are lit at a Christmas Eve service or the lights that are on display at people's houses. I'm not into inflatable Santa Clauses and all that in, in the lawns. You know, that's not, that doesn't excite me. What I get real excited about are light displays. I look at the, you know, the, the animals that get made with lights or the, the lights of multicolors decorated the house or the flashing lights or the, the competition homes you know, that have zillion lights. And now that we have LED lights, it makes it easier. You can put a ton of lights up and it doesn't cost you a fortune. But I love, I love driving around at Christmas and seeing lights on the homes or seeing the lights on the, on the poles in downtown areas. There's something about Christmas lights. They're just so magical, so welcoming. When I was in college, I used to drive home from Nebraska to my parents' home, and usually it was an evening drive, about 500 miles, and I'd get home late at night, sometimes after midnight, and sometimes when you entered the state and got off the interstate, you went down country roads that were very dark, and then you'd enter a a little community where there were street lights, and I always looked forward to them when I could see them at a distance, because where there's light, there's life. And so I get to drive through a little, little uh, community and then head on through the darkness again, come into my hometown, and when I uh, would park my car at my parents' house, they had a driveway that was probably about from here to the back of the room uh, away from the house. So you'd park your car and then walk the sidewalk up to the house. And on those occasions, when I got to the house, the back porch light would be on. And I don't know about you, but to me, that was a powerful light. Because what that told me was, we've been waiting for you. And I'd walk in the house, and mom and dad would be asleep, it'd be after midnight, the little kitchen light, or the little stove light would be on as well, and, there were, and I just felt like, ah, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm home. It was just the power of just lights. I mean, if, they had the, if the porch light was off, I would have been offended. <laughs> but it was on! It's like the Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you. You know, lights are powerful. I love lights. They communicate so much. They're welcoming. And I pray this season as you drive around that you, when you see the lights, you're reminded that the, the light is a light that dispels the darkness. It is hope. Now, where is that hope found? Very simply, it's found in the Lord. There are two words that sound very similar and may appear very similar, but they're different. And they are the words hope and hype. What is hype? Hype is an optimistic view of something that's not based on reality. So you have people hyping up movies. You go, oh, this is the greatest movie. You know, it's, it's going to be a blockbuster. And you go and it's a dud. 
You know, it was because it was hyped up. Or you have a, a, a person that's drafted for your sports team and it's hyped up. You know, this one's going to save the team. They're going to be the answer to all of our, all of our concerns, and they, and they aren't. And so they just got hyped up. Political candidates, that, that one, if that person becomes president, they'll solve all of our problems. They never do. You know, it's all hype. It's all hype. And we get worked up over hype, and sometimes we just think like, yes, you know, we've got the best team ever. No, you don't. Okay, but I want to feel like it. Yeah, but it's not based on reality. That's just hype. And similar to that is what I call wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is like, I hope it snows on Christmas. I hope the Broncos go to the Super Bowl. You know? I, I, I hope I get, uh, you know, iPhone 10 for Christmas. You know, these, that's wishful thinking. It's not hope because it's not based on, on, on facts. It's just wishing. It's, it's like this little girl who just put on her list, the only thing I want for Christmas is a pony. And her parents says, I don't know if that's going to happen. Just don't, I don't, don't get your hopes up too high. Well, Christmas morning came and her brother thought he'd pay, play a trick on her. So he put horse manure in her stocking instead of chunks of coal, chunks of horse doo-doo. So Christmas morning comes, and, and he's, all, he's, he's looking as she opens up her stocking and dumps it out. And she gets so excited. She goes, oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. And they, they say, well, honey, what, why are you so excited? Because don't you know what this is? Because, yes, we know what it is. But don't you know what this means? There's a pony around here somewhere. That's hope. It's based on evidence. That's real hope. Hey, I have hope because of something that's real. And biblical hope is based on a promise. It's not that I just want it to happen. It's God said this was going to happen. And so when we, we read this verse from Hebrews, chapter 15, it says, For whatever was written in former days, speaking of the Bible, particularly the stories in the Bible, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what? Hope! The reason we have a Bible is when you read it, you go, man, God's doing some great things. God, God's got a great future in store for us. I can hold on to that in the present, this confidence in the present of something good in the future. Wow. And you think through the stories of the Bible, you go back to Adam and Eve in the, in the garden and they sin and God said, I'm going to bring someone who will crush the serpent's head. Go, man, I can't wait to see that. Then Abraham comes along. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And, and the entire world will be blessed through you. So they're looking forward to a son named Isaac and then what God would do and that God would bring a seed from his family that would be the source of all those blessings. That was something they held on to, the Abrahamic promise. Then God tells his people in Egypt that he's going to take them to a, a land flowing with milk and honey. They have that to look forward to. And though they sinned and wandered, many of them didn't get to experience that. But eventually they got there. And God said, as they had these various kings in their life, that there's coming a day when you'll have a king who will not fail you, will not disappoint you. He will set up a kingdom and reign forever. We can't wait till that king comes. He's coming. And when he comes, I'll establish a new covenant with you. And in that new covenant, everyone will know who God is. And they'll experience true forgiveness of sins. They look forward to the time of the new covenant. God said, said he would send a Messiah, this servant who would suffer and die for them. 
And they looked forward to when that would come, and, and it came in Jesus. And Jesus was the, the Messiah that suffered and died on a cross for them. And then when he ascended, he told his disciples, hey, I've got more for you. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive this power from on high. This Holy Spirit will come on you, and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And they waited, and God fulfilled that. Then he told the church, there's more, because I'm going to come again. I'm going to come again and gather my own together. And the church said, oh, Jesus, come quickly. And we look forward to what Revelation describes as a time and a place where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more pain. A place that we call heaven. And that propels us forward. That causes us to want to live a certain way because we're hoping in something that God has promised. And not just, I wish this would happen. I, I wish there's a place that we go to when we die. No, no, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. That's the evidence. That's the, the fact that I base my hope on. So if you don't have uh, an honest thing to link your faith to, it's just wishful thinking. I mean, God bless people, but someone said of my mother, well, she's now an angel in heaven. I said, well, that, that sounds sweet, but people don't become angels. That's not in the Bible. Where, where, do, you, where do we learn that people become angels? I've been around a lot of funerals, and it's kind of flippantly said of people, they're in a better place. Not everybody's in a better place. The truth, how do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. Some, some go to everlasting joy and life with the Lord. And some go to a place of everlasting judgment. Oh, why are you being so negative? I'm not being negative. I'm just saying, this is what Jesus said. But he tells us if we believe in him and follow him, we have the promise to be with him forever. That's what I hope. And I don't hope to go to the other place. I hope to go to this place. But let's base it on the truth. Base it on, on something in Scripture. See, the, the Bible says hope not only is in the Word. More specifically, it's in the person of the Word, the person that's called the Word, the Word that became flesh, Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 71.5, For you, O Lord, are my hope. Jesus is the hope. In Lamentations, prophet Jeremiah said, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Where's our hope? In him. I have hope in what's to come because of Jesus and what he said. It's not hype. It's hope. Don Basham, a pastor, I think said it really well. He says, we do not put our hope in the man on the moon. We put our hope in the man on the cross, and that's who we trust. So hope finds its basis in the resurrection and the life named Jesus Christ. So what does it do? What does it do for us? What does hope bring? It brings, you know, a lot of things, but it brings ultimately joy. Do you know that hope actually has an effect on you physically and emotionally? That, that when you have hope, and this has, been, this has been shown through research and scientific inquiry, that um, it reduces stress and anxiety. It helps you to breathe better. Helps your heart to beat better. It boosts your immunity system. It gives you better control over your emotions and generally just makes you happier. Kids in school who have hope get better grades, have more friends, and have an optimistic view of their future. They face the same challenges as everybody else, but hope moves them forward. In, in Proverbs chapter 10, 
28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. I dreaded the day. I thought often, when my mom dies, I'm probably going to just become a basket case. I really wondered because I, I said, I don't know what I'm going to experience. But mom is really my, my link, my family link. Dad was a difficult man. Mom, mom was the glue that held us all together. And she had just been so steady, the greatest representation of God in my life. And so I dreaded the day when she died. But Tuesday morning, I woke up and I actually just had to smile. I just, I just said, Lord, what, what, what a finish. What a finish. I mean, I, I said, Lord... I couldn't pick a better way for my mom to die than what, she, what happened Monday. I mean, she goes to the hospital at 10 and she's, and she's in heaven by dinner time. I said, wow, what would I want? Would I want her to lay in the hospital for two weeks so I could go see her? No, no. She, she wouldn't want to inconvenience anybody. She, she went out the way she probably would have wanted to go out, very quietly and quickly. And I just had to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for 92 years. Thank you for the way you took her. Thank you that we got to have her come out here this spring and she was healthy enough to get on an airplane, fly to DIA, get the wheelchair from her plane to the curb where we could pick her up and bring her down to see her newest grandson. She saw all of her great-grandkids, all of them. In fact, we have a picture of her with, with little Rowan, 91 years difference. And he may never see his grandma personally, but he will have the picture knowing, my great-grandmother held me. And we capture that memory. I couldn't ask for more. What, what, what can I, how can I complain to God? What am I going to complain to him about? I could tell him I'm hurting. He goes, I know. I know, but I, I wanted her home, and she's home. So it's this kind of weird feeling. People may think, like, man, you probably need to be crying more. And I said, I cried some, but I'm just, I'm just filled with such gratitude. I think it's because of this, the, the, the joy that comes from the hope that the Lord has put in my heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter for it says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means Christians who've died. Because they're not forever gone, they're just, it's like they're sleeping. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What Paul's telling the believers is, you will grieve, but you will not grieve like other people. I've watched other people grieve. I've done a lot of funerals. I've watched people that don't know the Lord and there's a lot of bitter tears. There's a lot of pain in those tears. I've watched Christians grieve. And I've often watched Christians grieve with tears, but gratitude. And not regret. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He said, we know that they're just sleeping. And that they'll be raised to life to be with Jesus forever. So we know this isn't the end. That's why I said, that book is over, the story's not. There's a whole new story that will never end. A whole new book, actually, that'll open up that has no ending. That's where a promise in Scripture of everlasting life with the Lord. So yes, grieve. It's okay to grieve, but you don't grieve like other people. It's different. It's different. And what does hope require of us then? Well, there's a real clear word in, in Romans 8. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? So if you already have it, it's not hope. Hope is future-oriented. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's one of the hardest things is just to wait, to, to be patient. I feel that one of my primary jobs as a pastor is to help give people hope. So if you're going through a difficult time, to say, God can, God can get you through this. It will get better. It will get better. 
He promises. He promises in all things to work for your good. It may be dark right now, but you need to be assured of this. It has never been so dark that the sun did not come up the next morning. And when you're walking with the Lord, the darkness may seem overwhelming, but it will never be so dark that you will not have room for the light to shine in the midst of the darkness. You may lose a parent. You may lose a child. You may, you may suffer a major loss of a relationship, of a job, of, of finances. You may go through a really dark time of your life. But God says there is light still in the midst of your darkness. And that light eventually will push the darkness aside, make room for the light. 